Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Primetime with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Sean Mooney uh, on location this week. Hacksaw, it's great to be with you again, but uh, I've got a lot of explaining to do, I guess. Yeah, well, of course, you know, Sean, uh, I know everybody's following the news and it's kind of a somber day uh, right after this horrible tragedy in Las Vegas. So everybody can understand, but I'm sure you can explain it better than me. Yeah, folks, uh, I, uh, as you know, I've mentioned before, I work in the news business. Uh, I'm a news anchor and I also uh, do a lot of uh, correspondent work here and there. And uh, as I covered the uh, the hurricane down in Texas. Now, I've also been set now up to Las Vegas to cover this horrific massacre that took place uh, right off the Vegas Strip at Mandalay Bay. Uh, folks, 22,000 people, Jim, uh, in this concert area across from Mandalay Bay, some maniac, 32 floors up in Mandalay Bay, shoots out the windows of one of those hotel rooms up there and then starts raining bullets down on these people. And uh, I'm sure everyone has heard in the news the horrific... Uh, outcome with that. Uh, now 59 people uh, uh, have passed uh, in this tragedy uh, as we record this. Uh, maybe by the time you hear this, it, it may be more. But uh, Jim, it has just been an unbelievable experience. Came in here yesterday and I, I, I just can't even begin to tell you uh, what it, the experience has been like and the way that this city is just reeling from what happened. Yeah, you know, what an American spirit. I mean, just uh you know, with the the natural disasters we had in Florida and Texas, now down in Puerto Rico, and of course now this uh, uh, madman going crazy. I mean, just tragedy after tragedy. And of course, uh, Lee Bryce, uh, my good friend, was uh, saying at that concert. I mean, you know, all those people wow. there. Everybody's going to know somebody that was there, or know somebody that was there. There's a lot of people affected by this, uh, and of course, you know, you what can you say? I mean, God bless them. Yeah, and it's just really has been incredible, Jim. And you mentioned how everybody seems to have a connection to this. Now, I'm from uh, Tucson, Arizona, and that, that is uh, about a seven-hour drive. But a lot of people, as you might imagine, they're country music fans. That's what the concert was all about. It was the Route 1 Harvest uh, Festival, uh, country music festival. And um, there were just, uh, fortunately at this point, we haven't lost anybody. But I'm actually in Henderson, Nevada right now, Jim outside of a hospital, Rose Hospital, there's a young lady here by the name of Savannah Sanchez, and she's one of the 500 plus who was, who was injured in that attack. And she's fighting for her life right now. She got, right. uh, was hit in the back, Jim, and the bullet rattled around in her body. And I just got done talking with her mother. Um, and they've just been out here, you know, the vigil has been going on now for a couple of days, but they got some great news, which is nice to know that she's had two surgeries and and she's doing better, and the uh, the outlook uh, they're hoping is going to be great. So I mean, that, uh, and, before and we move t- on, we've got to yeah, go ahead, Jim. Uh, and talk about the heroes. I mean, how about the uh, oh, emergency yeah. personnel, the police? I mean, everybody, thousands and thousands of people are running for their lives, and the police are running towards the gunmen. I mean, what courage it yep. must take. I mean, they have families, yep. they have lives, but they're risking theirs. And I believe the last I heard that one police officer was shot through the door from the hotel room, I mean, uh, before the SWAT team got there. I mean, uh Unbelievable courage on, in those guys and the uh, EMT people, firemen, uh, it's, it's, and just regular folks. Everybody just uh, great to see the American spirit, but a horrible, horrible, horrible way to see it. 
Yeah, and Jim, you know, uh, you are such an advocate for our law enforcement officers and our veterans, and, I, and I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I've talked to a lot of people, talked to a young lady this morning who uh, survived. She actually got shrapnel in her leg uh, from, you know, these bullets that were raining down, as I mentioned, but she told me how uh, so many people and the police officers that, that came in there running in, uh, other people who had, had vet, who were veterans that were just there enjoying it as you know normal everyday Americans, but she said how these people were you know uh, heroes covering people's bodies, getting helping people up to get them out to let them run, carrying people, and then coming back into that uh, what they call it like a fishbowl, Jim. They said there was no place for these people to go once the, the shooting started. They just uh, had a hard time getting out of there. But uh, really, it, it is just a, an amazing experience here. And, and the tragedy you see we see it, you way see too all. often in this country, right. too. I don't know yeah. uh, gun control, uh, but uh, it's way too often. I mean, you know, I believe in the, the right to have a, a, a gun, but uh, even me, I, I have many guns myself. I enjoy hunting. I enjoy yeah. target shooting, but... Uh, I don't know something. I I don't know what can be done. There's so many weapons out there. It's uh, and a bad guy. You know that's the only thing that can stop a bad guy is a good guy with a gun. A bad guy with a gun can only be stopped by a good guy with a gun. That was proven uh, the other night because the the policeman closed in on that maniac. He went ahead and took the coward way out and and killed himself. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, I went to a memorial last night. Or one of the uh, an officer who was an off-duty officer, Jim, just there to enjoy the concert mm -hmm. and lost his life. But you see these people coming out to support uh, the community and the families. But it was also the, you know to start the healing process. And it's amazing how many people say, "Yeah, it's it's so tragic. It's so tragic. Uh, it, it's something that will stay with me forever." But I refuse to let these people uh, control my life, and we will yeah. go on. And that's what Americans do. We do that. Oh, Sean, let's let's try to offer uh, the folks that listen to us a little reprieve from the constant news of what happened, and and let's try to reflect a little bit on the good old days, the golden age of yeah. wrestling, and and something a little positive, and and help uh, not only uh, the fans get through this, but you and me and uh, get through this also. That's exactly. So what how I about a hole? There we go. That's right. right. That's. Now I feel better already, Jim. Thank you for you gotta that. Know works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, with right. that, let's There's, let's move on. And this week, Jim, you know this is a topic I've wanted to hit for a very long time, and uh, we've had you know many other things to talk about in the meantime. But this is something that I saw from start to to finish, and it wasn't a very good finish. And uh, one thing I really want to uh, talk about is how this affected the superstars of the World Wrestling Federation. And I want to take everybody back to uh, what started as a rumor back in 1990 that Vince McMahon, who we know uh, was always fascinated with uh, bodybuilding and, and uh, you know big uh, athletes, uh, decided that he was going to take on the IFBB, the uh, Bodybuilding Federation. And uh, at the Mr. Olympia contest, this became reality. This was on September 15th in Chicago at the Airy Crown Theater. Um, they announced, they made the formal announcement that the WBF, the World Bodybuilding Federation, was uh, going to, in the words of Tom Platts, who was a very uh, well-known bodybuilder, 
who had been hired by Vince McMahon to be its, the talent director uh, and talent development director for the WBF, said the WBF is going to kick the IFBB's ass. He actually got on stage, Jim, and announced this. Uh, what was your first recollection of ever hearing anything called the WBF? Well, yeah, the uh, it kind of went through the, the dressing room like wildfire because you know everybody knew he enjoyed uh, bodybuilding and every that's why everybody was on the gas back then. You know, yeah. was one of the many reasons everybody was juiced up with steroids uh, because there was a, such a importance of being big and strong back then. And of the uh, the bodybuilders uh, when Vince took them over. I, I think, you know, that's the old saying, telephone, telegraph, telewrestler, man. That word got out. <laughs> that spread like wildfire. What? Bodybuilders? What? They're on contracts? And that's, like right. I said before, the, the wrestlers had contracts. We work, we get paid. You don't work, you don't get paid. You get hurt, you're screwed. All of a sudden, yep. these bodybuilders that just go to the gym every day and just eat certain foods are on supposedly, and of course, nobody knows for sure, but it seems like they had pretty good heavy contracts. And, you know, oh, I'm going to be spending, telling you about them. Yeah, we oh, were pr- yeah. pretty much p- spending as much time as in the gym as the bodybuilders. Plus, we were traveling, plus, we're eating on the road, and plus, we were wrestling every night. I mean, the guys spent a lot of time in the gym back in the day. And uh, so there was a little animosity, that's for sure. Maybe a little jealousy because those guys were getting the big money and, and we were working nightly. Yeah. Well, let's uh, put a little context on this. Now, you know, back then, you know, bodybuilders didn't make a whole lot of money. As a matter of fact, you know, like that Mr. Olympia that year, uh, 1990, Lee Haney was the, the champion, and he got the his big prize was $70,000, a first place prize. Now, uh, even then, that wasn't a whole lot of money for a big time athlete, uh, but was considered enormous money by IFBB uh, standards. Well, and and yeah, and listen, now, now that same event, Jim, uh, they made a big giant circus out of this, and it and it blindsided the uh, the IFBB. Can you imagine that they like burst into the room basically? And then when Tom Platts took the stage and made this announcement, they had these beautiful women come in and they had like trays uh, with pamphlets explaining what the WBF was going to do. And there's also rumors that uh, while this was happening, uh, they had minions from the WBF going through the hotel room and slipping contract offers or or, uh, offers to come and join the WBF with all these bodybuilders. So it really did rock the bodybuilding world, but it also rocked the WWF. As uh, I imagine, do you remember hearing about this event? I know you're talking about uh, these guys getting contracts, but uh, when that all broke, did you know about this circus? And everybody's going like, "What the hell?" Yeah, well, you you know, if, if Vince is going to be involved, that they're not going to come out with this guy in a sports jacket and a tie and stand in front of a podium and make an announcement. It's going to be over the top. There's going to be women. There's going to be screaming. There's going to be yelling. It's going to be a show. It's going to be what the WBF is all about compared to the other organization that's been around and was kind of stale and needed a shot in the arm. So, you know, Vince coming into it, he kind of all of a sudden bodybuildings is on the map again. He, he he brought credibility to, to the opposition. And uh, yeah. 
you know, he, he was trying to take it mainstream. You got to, you know, like or hate Vince, you got to give the guy credit. He's willing to take a gamble, and he put a lot of money out there in the in the bodybuilding, like he did in the uh, XFL and the football. I mean, yeah. he's willing to to take a gamble, and uh, you know that obviously, you know, the WBF uh, didn't pan out, but look how well the the WWE does. Yeah. Well. And as we know, Vince, Vince, whenever he does something, he does it big. And he certainly rolled this one out big. Uh, we mentioned, yeah, he, he wanted to be the guy known who changed bodybuilding. But the bottom line of this, Jim, was that, and, and the same thing is the way that, that Weeder, who was, you know, Joe Weeder and his brother were the big kings Supplement of bodybuilding. guy, right? Right. There, you just said the word. That was yep. where they made their money. And remember, Ico Pro. Sure, that of course. Was what, there you go. That was going to be the big money maker. Plus, they were going to have all these equip, you know, clothing line. They were going to have workout equipment. I mean, this was going to be building another empire. Sweatshirts and T-shirts. Yeah, right. they they had a bunch of uh, merchandise. I mean, gym bags, uh, th- uh, lunch boxes. I mean, you name it. Uh, Ico Pro had it. I I still got yeah. a bunch of those Ico Pro T-shirts. Uh, yeah, it was cool. Because that's what you say, you know. Uh, Everybody yeah. uh, that bodybuilding and talk about a small group of guys that, you know, that all those people that compete, everybody, no matter what gym they train at from a big fancy, you know, fitness place to a hole in the wall, uh, iron gym, people always yeah. want the supplements and, uh, you know, that's a great market. That's where the money is. And throughout that fall, now th- when this thing started rolling throughout that fall, after that glitzy press conference, um, they started flying guys into Stanford first class. I, I know this is going to be hard for you to hear, Jim, but they were <laughs> flying these guys first class or picking them up in limos, putting them in the five-star hotels. And, you know, really they were just treated like royalty. And this went on as he courted these guys from the uh, IFBB. And, you know, Weeder was not happy with the situation. And what do you think? <laughs> yeah, well, and he was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, can you imagine? He's got these guys the same way that Vince, in a sense, has control of you guys by not giving you contracts. And then you got this guy coming in, and he gave them big money. I'm going to mention some of the numbers here pretty soon. Don't but, do it, Tony. Yeah, I've got to. I've got to. You know, just to hear your reaction. You already hit me with that Goldberg two million <laughs> thing. I mean, holy smokes! All right, it wasn't that. It's not that big, but uh, he, you know, courted all these guys, and he ended up signing 13 of them. Okay. Now, all of this was revealed at a press conference at New York's Plaza Hotel on January 30th, 1991, when he strode out the following athletes. Uh, now, I, there, if people in the bodybuilding world, they may know who these guys are. There was 13 of them. Aaron Baker, Mike Christian, Vince Comerford, David Durth, Barry DeMay, Johnny Morant, Danny Padilla, the giant killer, Tony Pearson, Jim Quinn, Mike Quinn, Eddie Robinson, Gary Stridham, now I know you remember him, that name, and Troy Zuccolato. Those were the 13 originals, and uh, they would stay that way. But uh, he spent big money. Average salary, basically what it came down was like $200,000 is what it is reported. Woody, where'd you hear that number? Uh, Yeah, and um, (laughs) Gary Stridham supposedly had a deal uh, worth somewhere in the neighborhood of about 400 plus a year for three years. Most of these guys got two years. You okay, Jim? Oh, I'm 
I Joe know get- the Heimlich, the self-induced Heimlich. I'm joking here. Yeah. Uh, Give me you a know, home. You mentioned me those home. guys and the money that they're making, uh, that they made. And you yeah. know, can you where, where where in the world are they now? You know, think about Jake the Snake Roberts, Ted DiBiase, Junkyard Dog. You know, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, I mean, people like that you still remember from that era. Those bodybuilders, they they came came and left. I mean, and didn't make a ripple. Yeah. Well, that's what they, uh, you're right. And, uh, the struggle was the guy. Shit all the money, Mooney. <laughs> Come on. It doesn't bother me. I'm out doing no. Indy trying to put my daughter through school. What yeah. the hell? Uh, well, then that's the thing I really wanted to bring up today. Now this had to really, when, and I don't know if you heard the numbers, but I know you heard about the, you know, the guys being, you know, showing up in Stanford and limousines and being, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and that they were getting contracts. I mean, what was the reaction? In the locker rooms. Shit. Well, well, you got you got Kurt Henney and Mr. Fuji telling the story. So they're flying them in by helicopter. Yeah, right. <laughs> a million dollars a piece. Yeah. I mean, this story is well blown out of the proportion by the time the boys got it, you know. And they're getting carried around on silk pillows. So where everybody's, yeah, there was a lot of heat there. And that's, like yeah. you, know, you know, the story about the huge tug of war. I mean, that's why there was uh, animosity and, you know, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind a, of the final finish. We'll, we're going to get to that. Too. I mean, those guys is like, uh, you know, in wrestling, the guys that are bodybuilder type guys, the ultimate warrior. I mean, they were, that's, that's a different type of mindset you have to have to, to be like that. You know, I, I always yeah. said some of the biggest competition on that side was for mirror space. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's in there. Am I greased up? How do I look? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. And, and, and we're, I want to get into some of those, uh, those stories. But as I mentioned, the average they, the, the average salary. This is what they're saying uh, from what I've been able to dig up was uh, around two hundred thousand a year for these guys. Stridum uh, was getting somewhere between three hundred and fifty and four hundred per year, and he I believe he had a three year deal. Well, um, now now Dad, listen to this. In comparison, the IFBB at the time was said nobody in there in that uh, you know federation was making more than fifty thousand a year, uh, and that was just from competitions. They didn't have contracts. But they made their money because they had uh, deals with, you know, supplement companies and, you know, other endorsement deals. They did make good money, but not from getting on a stage. There's only a very few of them, not 13 of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, they were, at this time, uh, that was a pretty good deal for them, wouldn't you say? I think that... Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> think, brother. You kidding? They weren't making the towns. Uh, had That's to, a t-shirt, know. Jim. I'm going to get one. Is this going to be, you think, Mooney? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the other T-shirts do so well. What the hell, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Put them right up there. We might uh, get but, another another yeah, ten I mean, Imagine that. I mean, for guys that were into the, you know, I spent my time in the gym, but I was more a power guy than a body guy. And right. uh, but for guys that are spending all that time in the gym, working out, training hard, trying to look good, because. I tell folks you're out in front of people in short shorts and patent leather boots. You know, you're like yeah, right. a stripper, <laughs> and the crowd can be brutal. Without, you know, I mean, you know, you the heels get, and fishnets. You mean? <laughs> you're getting back to the. We're going to take another poll, I think. Yeah, that that kind of poll. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, now, in order to really put this over, Jim, now you, you've got to have a contest. So uh, Vince McMahon announced that the WBF's first contest was going to be held in Atlantic City. On June fifteenth, nineteen ninety-one, uh, almost you know a, a year later, uh, at the opulent Taj Mahal Casino, owned by none other than, of course, Donald Trump. Yes, and uh, they actually 
pulled this one off in a sense. But uh, to do it, they had to do some promotions. And this is where I think you're, <laughs> you're going to really about be able to. and Trump. Uh, let me think. Yeah, it's going to be opulent, yes. Uh, but this is where you come in, uh, Mr. Duggan, because in order to promote this event, and I remember this very well, uh, they said, you know what we got to do is we've got to take advantage of the huge crowds that we can draw at these arenas. And what better way to put these bodybuilders over than to send them to these shows, and in between matches, we will have them do pose downs, and these people are going to be so impressed that they will want to run to this event that's taking place. Give me some of your memories uh, of being at a show with some of these bodybuilders when they showed up and how that it, went. There was a big <laughs> point of hiding from, from, from us. Yeah. <laughs> You'd see them as they were from whatever dressing room or closet or coat room they had him in when they moved him from there to the ring and then back. I mean, that's the only time you saw him because they were so worried that uh, the nasty boys or Fuji or somebody would get a hold of him. With good uh, reason. With very uh, good reason. Uh, you think? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you think, Mooney? But, yeah, I, but, you know, you, you got those guys going out there posing and they look good, you know, but they, they really have that critique eye for bodybuilding. You look at Tony Atlas, he's out there, man. What a physique he's got. Ultimate Warrior, boom, he's out there. He's looking good. A lot of guys were, were body guys and were looking good. And, you know, you really couldn't tell the difference between the, those guys and our, our body guys, you know, unless you were like a trained observer, except those guys were getting paid money to sit at home and go to the gym every day. And our guys were catching an airplane, flying, getting to a hotel, getting to the gym, getting to the arena. But, uh, no, we Do didn't, it, any... didn't, it didn't bother us at all. Mooney. No, no, come on. I know you, you must have a, a story or two where, uh, ribs were pulled. You've got to have a few for me. Well, you know, the only the only thing I heard is is what uh, supposedly was uh, Kurt Henning uh, got their bags and chained their bag to uh, like a, a was a bench, you know, with the bench that you dress on, and somebody, you know, that, that's that's kind of a standard old rib, you know, not, yeah. nothing too heavy, but yeah, or or you know what happened a lot of times if you do high school gyms or something like that, it would had a lot of lockers. There'd be a bunch of locks, and some people they'd have like fifteen different locks on their bag because you never know the combination. But if you found <laughs> if you found an open lock, you'd stick it on your buddy's bag. You know, but uh, but the the the, the bodybuilder dude was the only the, the only time I I saw him because uh, Chief J Strongbow, Renee Goulet, uh, uh, Tony Gurria, they kept a tight eye on those guys, man, and. Uh, I think well, they, they, they thought somebody was really, you know, might not, you know, shit, got nails there. He might knock one of them out. Well, was there a story? Now, this is I, I remember hearing at the time, and I don't remember. I I, I don't know if it was. Yeah, you Strida. might refresh my memory. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the one of the and, and he went to one of these shows, and these guys were all sitting around, and he comes in and he says, "Where's my chicken? I'm supposed to have my raw, my you know, my cooked chicken breast, and this." And, and one of the superstars uh, got up and said, here's your chicken, it's you, or whatever, and slapped him. Did you ever hear that story? Because you know, you know I, I, I never heard of any physical contact. I, well, I, I you, really... most, well you, most of the superstars just are afraid of getting uh, in trouble for it because, like you said, they knew better. I mean, I know 
the agent. Yeah, yeah was I, very I think yeah, if, so is there, if he's, you know, if you're a nightly dude and you're slapping around a two hundred thousand dollar contract player, you, <laughs> might, you might hear something about that. But I could see guys intimidating the hell out of them. Are you kidding? Yeah, I mean, it's exactly. an intimidating dress room anyway for a new wrestler coming in. It's you know, back then it was a closed, it was a closed shop. If, who came in the dressing room? I mean, I came in when I did the deal and cut my hair and shaved my beard. I'm sitting in the dressing room. I was a little uncomfortable the way everybody was looking at me. I mean, it yeah. was it's a tight group. So now you got these guys coming in or, or at least through the dressing room, and everybody knows that, that they, they're making money and, and, and got a cushy job, and then they're bitching about the chicken. You yeah. know. Imagine. And we well, were happy and, to and, get catering. Are you kidding? You know, you get a pizza, it'd be a big deal. <laughs> now, I don't know how many of these uh, house shows that you did where these guys were made appearances, but do you remember, what was the crowd reaction? Because I just can't imagine it was well-received, but uh, no, I, do you yeah, remember? And, and I don't think there was a lot of booing going on either. I think people were just getting up to the you know, intermission. It was a popcorn match. You know, <laughs> they're out there. Everybody's up getting their popcorn and going to the restroom and whatever. I mean, just total indifference is the way I saw it. And the way the ratings looked, were looked too, I mean, it was total indifference. I think, as you know, Sean, better than me, I believe it was, uh, they, they tried to put it on pay-per-view for a while. Oh, they did? Yeah. Well, uh, in the 1991 WBF championship, they uh, they had a prize money. The prize money was $275. And as I mentioned before, you know, Haney got $70,000 for Mr. Olympia. Um, so this was huge money for bodybuilding for that point. Wrestler, in time. right? Yeah. And, and what's interesting about this contest, and they said, you know, the guys at the time were still able to do what they needed to do, shall we say, to look really good on stage. So the first contest, the first WBF championship, the guys were looked like bodybuilders. And, and of course, Gary Stridham won it. And what's really interesting about this, though, Jim, do you know that the the uh, they figured out that what first place through fifth place were also the same uh, scale in salary? So the the guy who made the most money got first place. The guy who made the second most money got second place. And there's who knows how the judging went. It's just kind of funny how it ended up that way, don't you think? Well, <laughs> anything like that, like figure skating, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> when you got judges out there, a beauty contest. I mean, that's why I love amateur wrestling, man. You put two guys out on the mat, boom, blow the whistle, let them go. I mean, yeah. it's not a, nobody's going to judge anybody. I believe that amateur wrestling is the toughest sport that there is. Collegiate Olympic high school wrestling. It's a, it's a tough sport. No, no judges. Now, now to tell you how well it did, because you did mention you talked about pay per view, and it was on pay per view. And of all people, they had the, the hosts of this this uh, contest were uh, Vince McMahon, Regis Philbin, and Bobby Heenan to be the hosts of this bodybuilding championship. That's a good group. <laughs> That'd be entertaining yeah. just to watch them doing anything. I mean, it was it around having coffee. That'd be yeah. a, that'd be a fun lineup. Because how much do you think Bobby Heenan knew about bodybuilding? <laughs> well, Bobby <laughs> trained very hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not bodybuilding. But <laughs> yeah. He trained in other things, but uh, that's yeah. another show. Uh, but they, to give you a comparison, we've talked about pay-per-view. 
uh, and how the buy rates. Remember we talked about buy rates and like say a 3.0 uh, is a good one. Okay, so just to give you some perspective on this, the event, and this was re uh, reported by Multi-Channel News on June 22nd, 1992, after the event happened. It generated a, listen to the 0.1 to 0.2% buy rate, uh, with a number of systems reporting numbers below the 0.1%, and that basically means it didn't even happen. So it wasn't uh, a big pay-per-view event, okay? Maybe the um, paper. Ooh, and man. what made it worse, now this is where it, it, you know, it started, even right then, it started to go downhill because 12 days after that WBF show, um, Dr. Zahorian, we know that name, the uh, ringside physician for the WWF, uh, was found guilty on 12 of 14 counts of selling anabolic steroids to professional wrestlers, bodybuilders, and uh, that's where things really started to heat up with the steroids, as far as it becoming public and the pressure starting. Uh, do you remember this point in time, Jim, where it no, was I never met certainly him, going I to the answer on the grounds that may incriminate myself? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. as a Are you as kidding, a Zahorian? He used to yeah. show up to the arena with suitcases. I mean, it was Pennsylvania. I think he was a Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission doctor. Yeah, they always yeah, made sure they had a show there for some reason, right? Oh, man, no, I think, yeah, he would come to the TV shows with, like, suitcases. And, I mean, A to Z, whatever you wanted, boom and a boom. Oh. And uh, it was just common knowledge, uh, even for the, a relatively newcomer to me. You know, big Jim Duggan sitting there in my gold bathrobe uh, with my eyes as big as saucers watching all this going on. And, uh, yeah, that was my uh, f first introduction. And, of course, you know, not to get off subject a little bit, imagine that, Sean. But when I was interviewed the by the uh, the FBI over that, you know, that's what I, my, my kind of defense was. I was trying to play off like, well, I'm a, you know, a young guy. I, I didn't realize the State Athletic Commission doctor told me it was okay. They're like, bullshit, kid. <laughs> All right. And, and, a good uh, try anyway. And, and before I get back on that track with the what was happening with the, the steroid trial was starting to uh, be put together and Vince started to feel that, that heat, um, did you also notice a pinch in finances as far as the money that uh, you guys were making at these shows? Because uh, Dave Meltzer reported uh, in his newsletter on October 7th, 91, that more than two dozen front office employees were let go. Ticket prices for WWF Fed Center had increased by a dollar. Um, they added another pay-per-view, and uh, they cut back, you know, a lot in uh, air expenses. A lot of people that have been flying first class were not allowed to fly first class anymore. Do you remember feeling that a drop or or, or yeah, there, you know, there a financial was, there impact? Was a pinch. I, I think what just what we noticed most was the guys that would usually be flying first were back with us and coach. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So Hello. Yes, yeah, something's up, you know, and. Then, uh, but, uh, yeah, you could see that they were, they were cutting expenses as catering. I, I think you could notice a deal in the catering. But, I mean, there, there's a guy, again, a, a success story of McMahon, that to get the thing started, to try different things, and to go down and almost go down to tubes and keep fighting through it. I mean, amazing that uh, it turn yeah, out and like another impact, has. And another big impact from this, and then and getting back to this, the steroid and Zahorian um, getting, you know, found guilty on those charges. Um, there was also you know, this pressure uh, to start implementing drug testing. 
among the athletes, and that included you guys. So when did you first hear about that and, and, and how intense that drug testing got? Well, yeah, well the drug testing, uh, yeah, everybody kind of knew that was, that was coming anyway. But back then, you know, there was che- cheating was rampant, you know, because uh, obviously marijuana stays in your system a whole lot longer than cocaine, you know, and the guys are like, they're forcing us to do heavy drugs because <laughs> they're worried about getting tested. But right. you could also, you could find somebody with clean pee, you know, poor Virgil. Virgil wasn't, <laughs> yeah, he looked like a prune by was the, he the end. the only like one? You always talk about poor Virgil. Was, wasn't there somebody else? <laughs> yeah, no, everybody was squeezing because you, you knew Virgil was clean. Some guys you weren't sure, you know, so uh, everybody would be giving Virgil water and then squeezing them dry. You know? oh my goodness. And then it got to the point where they're like, okay, yeah, too many guys are cheating, uh, we're going to, to do the testing where that they have the, uh, the make the temperature. So oh. now there's stuff online are in books and online. You can order synthetic pee that comes with like a little hand warmer to keeps it the certain temperature yeah. and you could put that in. And so that was happening for a while. Guys were cheating that way and it got so bad that boom, Vince shut that down, and now they got a, a guy. I don't know what his job description is, <laughs> but he stands there and watches you pee in a buck bottle. You know, I mean, he's eyes on, you know. So I guess he would be like, uh, I don't know what you'd call him. <laughs> but, but I know really what we did. call him, but that's another story. <laughs> and, and, and there's stories of, uh, uh, of guys trying to bribe him. Uh, but I'll tell wow. you, the, 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 the best way to get out of it uh, one of the guys knew he was dirty and so what he did is he put a band-aid on his finger soaked his finger in a uh, band-aid and finger in clorox and then when he was peeing he peed on his finger peed on the band-aid boom went into the test blew the test all up so he had to retake the test but blows only in your system for three days so he was clean so big get a boom so then they you illegal to do that now too well, then there were, I'm sure there were all kinds of different ways to uh, try and get around it, but it was there. And I remember seeing a lot of the boys didn't look as uh, shredded, I think is the word, as the, oh, they had prior macho to that. Macho got less of much dry. Not, not everybody. Well, the, 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 of course, nobody knew yeah, how bad they started bad wearing shirts were. to the ring. I remember that very vividly. Yeah, yeah I was hearing everybody started to wear shirts and pants, cover their body. <laughs> wear a poncho down there, cover up everything, damn it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, well, nobody realized, you know, how bad, you know, steroids were for you in the long run, you know, and, uh, uh, but it, it makes, makes a huge difference. I was three on my biggest, I was 312 pounds, 505 bench press. I mean, I, yeah. I was a bear and of course, Andre pushed me around like a kid, but <laughs> that's all relative. But I mean, there was uh, guys, there was Dino Bravo. I mean, he almost pushed, I think what, 700 pounds on a bench press. I mean, yeah. there were now, powerful- do you remember? Yeah, do you remember at the time, like, like this This sent you know, shockwaves to the WWF for sure, and we did see it, uh, but when it came to bodybuilding, I mean, that that's their, uh, what they got to do. they they got to get up on stage, and, and they've got to be ripped, and uh, they instilled this program, and they had another championship coming up. I mean, there was going to be the second one that was going to, uh, to happen, and so Vince, do you tried to get Lou Ferrigno to come in and he signed him to this gigantic deal. Uh, some say it was around $900,000 and he was going to do a pose down or with 
Gary Stridham. Now, this was all publicity fueled, but uh, the story goes that once Ferrigno, and he signed this whole deal, he appeared in, in some you know promotions and magazine, uh, the magazine covers, and uh, that this was going to happen. But apparently, once he found out that he was going to have to adhere to these rules, uh, he went back to Weeder in a hurry uh, when Weeder offered him a different deal. But um, so that went through. And then they were going to bring Lex Luger in. Now, Luger was in a contract dispute with WCW. And so they had to, and, and it was a, a non compete. He couldn't go directly to the WWF. So Vince wanted to do something with him. And Luger was at a great body. And he, was, he thought he would be a great, uh, you know, transitional athlete to be from both WBF and WWF. And so he's going to bring Lex Luger in. And that was going to save the Ferrigno issue. And then Lex goes and gets into a motorcycle accident. Remember that? Yes, yeah. Lex uh, had a bad wreck, actually. He was yeah. lucky to be alive. He went off the road at night, crashed out into a field, and laid there for a long time. People were driving by, never noticed him way out in the field. Finally, somebody saw the uh, the, the uh, head headlamp of the motorcycle shining up in the air. They went out there and found Lex, and he's, he was badly hurt, broke his arm really bad. His, his right. forearm was shattered, I believe. Yeah, and so... They limp into this big event, and this this really was it, Jim. And I don't know if you remember uh, hearing what happened at this thing, but I was a part of it. They held it in Long Beach, California, and I was out there along with Gene, and Bobby was there, and we hosted. They uh, we were uh, you know this this WBF championship, and I'm telling you, it was. I have to, maybe the worst television I have ever seen, the worst pay-per-view, and I'm not. I think that people, many people, would agree with this. Um, just to give you an idea, Jim, and then we talk about these the pay-per-view buys. It was so bad. <laughs> Sound like a vaudeville comedian. It was so bad that <laughs> right. the how the, bad was it? It was. It was. Thank you. I was waiting for that, Jim. It attracted roughly three thousand buys. Okay. 3,000 family and friends. We're talking now today. What, how many million they get pay-per-view yeah. 3,000 across for everywhere. You they know, they well, were in some places, Jim, that they had, uh, you know, like 50 buys in a city. That's how bad it was. And I'm, I'm telling you, it, it was well, the bodybuilders. Know, it was the, one it, bodybuilder, Iron Mike or uh, mighty Mike Quinn. And he was a you know pretty well known. He was a guy that was you know this great back and everything, and not a real tall guy, but he was ripped. And of all of the, they tried to do this alternative uh, diet plan with them to try and help them. But some people would just failed miserably. And if you watch this thing, he had a belly. I mean, it, I'm, it was oh god. And I forgot to really get into. Do you remember he gave them all gimmicks? <laughs> they had him like one was Batman, you know, and. Uh, one was the, the like the commando. Do you remember? Uh, it was just oh my god! It was just uh -huh. unbelievable. <laughs> I, I guess well, you, you know, were one you of the know, buys. 
bodybuilding, even even if you are a bodybuilding fan, it's still not a great spectator sport. You know, hard to do color for bodybuilding. He's going into a full crab. Well, there a, it is. Oh, and, and now a, a double bicep. Look at that. I mean, you know, yeah, and that's what it was doing. And, and Vince, you know, doing his, oh, and look at that. He shredded. Oh, my. You know, and you're just I mean, going. How often can just, you talk about, you know. Right. Yeah. And then Bobby, Bobby doing what he does. He's a heel. You know, like, blasted everybody. <laughs> like, uh, it was just, and I was doing back. I did backstage uh, interviews. Did and, they only do one pay per view? That's my next question. Yeah. Well, that that was pay per view. Uh, that was, was the that second. It? They only did one. No, they did two. They did the oh, first did one, one and then the second. This was no, that would in make 1992. Two. <laughs> yeah. There we go. First one and another one. <laughs> Both. Two. Two. Two a. Yeah. Those. And yes, both of them was, did well. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, at this point, after that, uh, that was pretty much the end. And I, and, you know, it's one of those things. <laughs> but you know, it's one of those things, Jim. You know, you know, uh, I'm I'm not a genius in television, but I knew that that was bad TV. And I think every single person attached to it felt the same way. And uh, I wonder now. Those guys were probably on contract for the full year, though, so they all got their bread. Oh yeah. So one of the big events that happened as this thing kind of all came down to it, Jim, was a tug of war that took place on the beach that pretty much summed it up. So tell us that story, and then we've got to go. Well, you know, Sean, that uh, the boys, like we talked earlier about, were really uh, not real happy with the bodybuilding guys. So when we all got there to the beach down in Tampa Bay, I believe it was there at Clearwater Beach. And, you know, the, everybody was eyeballing each other. All the bodybuilders were eyeballing the wrestlers. All the wrestlers were eyeballing the bodybuilders. And, of course, there's a lot of comp- competitive people out there. You know, everybody's competition level was way up. So where everybody's getting ready to, to uh, go, and the bodybuilders, of course, before they get uh, the tug of war to get on camera. They all get all greased up, all oiled up. They oil up each other's backs and everything. But just as we all go up to get a hold of the rope, Kurt Henning calls a huddle. We all huddle up, and Kurt's like, "Let the rope go on three. <laughs> and we're like, "Cool." So we get a hold of the rope and like, uh, and they blow the whistle, and we start pulling. One, two. Boom! We all let go of the rope. All the bodybuilders take a big bump in the sand. They all go rolling in the sand. And, of course, with all that oil and grease, all the sand sticking to them. So they were really ticked off. But uh, yeah. as bad as those bodybuilders got, they nobody made a move on, on the progressive. No, they didn't. And, and uh, them getting humiliated there in the sand. And, folks, I apologize for the noise here. I actually had to move. So that we could uh, finish up the podcast this week, spend a little time. Have a big party over there, Moody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's the way I roll, Jim. That's right. (laughs) But as we wrap this all up, you know, this the WBF experiment. I think we can call it lasted less than two years. It cost upwards of fifteen million dollars. And in the end, how much? Fifteen million. And in the end, Vince Vince ended up calling the readers and having to kind of. uh, smooth things over with them because he wanted to still advertise in their magazines because they were still selling Hypo Pro. 
And the way it ended up, uh, the guys uh, that had defected who had been told that they could never come back, well, he brought them back in uh, with a $25,000 fine, and then he dropped it to uh, whatever their 10% of what their annual salary was from the WBF. But that's pretty much the way it ended. And, uh, that was another experiment that didn't work so well. For the that w- was the last of the, the good money for bodybuilders, too. I mean, that was the, the heyday for the bodybuilders. Those guys got in on the gravy train, the WCW of bodybuilding. I mean, yeah. at least yeah, they, they were lucky been. to get in. But I can't believe $15 million. Holy smokes. Yep, that's where it was. What a gamble anyway. to, to lose. And, of course, all the top guys were back in coach. So. <laughs> yeah. That's the way it works. Um, but things worked out okay for the WWE. Yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, folks, that's a, never give up, never surrender. That's right. Vince never does. Uh, folks, I want to uh, thank you all for these. I mean, Jim, I, I have to tell you, we'll, we'll talk later, but we got uh, like uh, over 40 reviews. That Remember we asked last week, we want to give away those DVDs. We got over 40 reviews, and they were astounding. And folks, I promise I will announce them next week. Like I said, I'm, uh, this week's crazy, but we do. Uh, we'll have two two winners, and I don't care where you are. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get them signed. It'll have both our signatures on them, and I will send them to you wherever you are. Uh, keep in touch with us. We love hearing from you. Our email primetime at mlw.com. Of course, you can keep in touch with Hacksaw on Twitter at official Hacksaw or at Sean Mooney Who. Okay, so I want to thank David Porty. Before I forget. He was essential in uh, providing our research this week, David. Uh, once again, uh, a tremendous help uh, making our show better and better every week. Everybody, thank you so much for watching. and or watching. <laughs> I thought it was on TV, Jim. Uh, thanks for listening. And we will be back again next week. But there's only one way to get out of here, and that's with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Well, you know, Sean, before I go, i got to say this past weekend at the Hamilton Comic Con, Animal from Legion of Doom was there, the Killer Bees. Pat Patterson and One Man Gang. They had a reunion, 30-year reunion at the Hamilton Cops oh, County Coliseum for the uh, Royal Rumble. And, of course, One Man Gang was the guy who was the last guy in, and I put him out. And Pat put it all together, so we were up there for that. Uh, tomorrow I'm heading out to Denver, Colorado for uh, the Brew Brawl with Melvin Brewery. And we're going to be out there in Denver for a couple of days. I come home Friday and Saturday. I'm up in Quebec for a wrestling show up there. So a busy time up there. It's great. And if you folks out there haven't checked out local independent wrestling, check it out. It's a good time. And Mooney, enjoy that party. Don't tell me you're at some place where you can't talk. You're having a big party. And watch out for the polls, tough guy. We'll see you next week. Ho! Oh!